Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. So why was Jeremiah in prison? He was in prison for being a false prophet. Now he's in prison and the very thing he said was going to happen for which he's in prison is happening. Do you see a problem here if you're the king? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was in a difficult spot. In fact, he had been locked up. Why? Well, he had prophesied that Babylon would invade. And guess what? Babylon did, in fact, invade. So the king shut Jeremiah up because clearly he was telling the truth. The king acknowledged it was the truth, but there was no way he was going to own it. Sound familiar? Well, it will when Dr. Corbett has finished tonight's discussion. Shut up for not shutting up. Let's join him now. And so now we come to the first mention in this book where Jeremiah is actually... We, we come into this, this section, it's, we're in the third section of the book about where Jeremiah's talking about the covenant that God's got. But now we come to this first bit where we actually get a glimpse of the price that Jeremiah had to pay. We've seen some of the price he had to pay, the public scorn, the ridicule, the, the uh, public denouncements, the, the, the mocking that he endured. But now we get a glimpse of some of the physical price that Jeremiah had to pay. This is shut up for not shutting up. So we're reading uh, the first verse of Jeremiah 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 2. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court that was in the palace of the king of Judah. Um, so Jeremiah is basically in prison. He's in the king's prison. A little bit of background to this. It's, it's no surprise. I mean, it's not like... You could say, well, we didn't know this is what Jeremiah meant. I mean, he was very, very clear. He was very plain. Nebuchadnezzar would come. He would invade the city. He would lay siege to the city. And he would ultimately destroy the city and kill most of the surviving inhabitants unless he chose to exile some to Babylon. All right, so this is what he's been saying. And we know it's what he's been saying because of what's about to come up in this section. So what happened was Nebuchadnezzar did come to the city, just as Jeremiah said, and he did take the cream of the crop. That included one old, older guy by the name of Ezekiel and one very young guy by the name of Daniel. And so Daniel and Ezekiel were taken, part of the cream of the crop, taken to Babylon. They were, they were already there. And the existing king was then deposed and Nebuchadnezzar put his cousin as king, Zedekiah. So this has happened. And we know that Zedekiah didn't really play ball. He thought he could resist the king. He thought he could shut up the gates and the walls. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar would get bored and go off. Well, Nebuchadnezzar came back, laid siege to the city. And then got wind that Egypt was coming to the aid of Jerusalem. 
And Nebuchadnezzar realized he didn't have enough troops to stave off any support that Egypt was going to give Jerusalem. And so he withdrew. And Zedekiah said, Aha! Jeremiah was wrong. He didn't come in and destroy the city. Aha! And so he imprisons Jeremiah for discouraging the people, calling him a false prophet. Right? Got the picture? This is the context. One, uh, within, uh, within about a, a few months, Nebuchadnezzar came back, laid siege to the city, and we're now about 18 months into the siege. You know what a siege is? No one goes in, no one comes out. The gates are locked, we've got food, hold up. They could, they could have food and water for a few years in Jerusalem. They could still do some farming, they could still produce some crops. So they could kind of almost survive for a few years. In fact, during the Roman siege of Jerusalem, they survived for three and a half years. All right. So a year and a half into the siege where Nebuchadnezzar came back, by the way, just as Jeremiah said he would, we now read Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 1. So when it says, um, uh, in verse 2, at that time the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. This is, so now you've now you got the picture. This is what's happening. So why was Jeremiah imprisoned? He was imprisoned for being a false prophet. He was imprisoned for prophesying lies. He was imprisoned for discouraging the people because he said something that clearly wasn't true. This is why he was imprisoned. Now he's in prison and the very thing he said was going to happen for which he's imprisoned is happening. Do you see a problem here if you're the king? Well, what about Jeremiah? Because after all, <laughs> if you serve God and serve him well, isn't everything supposed to go good for thee? Well, let's consider again what's happening here. Jeremiah was imprisoned when Babylon invaded because he had prophesied that Babylon would invade. <laughs> There's a great irony here. Okay, so what's going to happen? Well, let's read on, shall we? Verse 3. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Now, mind you, who's citing this verbatim? The king. Who's he citing? Who's he quoting? Jeremiah. What does that tell you? It should like can you the the king the king this is what I've noticed about sometimes we as Christians will say things to people and they go ah oh, as if then they'll come back and they say you know how you said and they'll quote you verbatim and it's been like a month or two what's been going on what's been going on when the word of God is described as a seed that takes root and it gets in. This is really interesting. The king is quoting verbatim what Jeremiah has been prophesying. Let's consider this. Verse 4, Zedekiah king, 
This is Zedekiah talking. <laughs> Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. Verse 5, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. <laughs> see, I find this an amazing exchange. Here's Zedekiah saying, you've been prophesying this. Why? Well, if I was Jeremiah, I might point out, because look at your wall. It's happening. It's like, how can you accuse me of being wrong? We've been in this siege for 18 months. The very thing you accused, you accused me 18 months ago of lying about when I said God said this would happen, here I am. What do you mean? What am I talking about? I'm talking about right now what you're seeing. And you know it because you quoted it when I said it 18 months ago. So here's, here's an amazing thing about God's word. Despite the most glaring evidence for God's word, it was being rejected as untrue. And that's the human heart sometimes. It's the human heart to, to sometimes reject the most incredibly obvious. Now, now, by the way, Jeremiah, I, I just said that's how I would respond if I was Jeremiah. He didn't. He didn't. And I wonder why he didn't. Probably because he didn't need to. Probably because if he had someone come up to him 18 months after he'd given a prophecy, and this man can quote the prophecy verbatim back to him, chances are this man's been mulling and thinking about things. He didn't need to. There is no immediate response from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is imprisoned and he's conducting himself well. How would you conduct yourself if you were in prison? I'd be a sook. <laughs> An amen from my wife. I would carry on. I would, I would have, my prayer life would be, you know, it wouldn't be great. I, I'd, I'd be embarrassed for you to hear it because I'd be complaining to God. I would just be like, what the heck? This, isn't, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Jeremiah's not doing that. And the fact that he's not speaks volumes to Zedekiah. Just to give you a little glimpse about what's coming up, he's released. He continues to prophesy things that happen within days and weeks and months. And Zedekiah then calls him back in and says these amazing words. Tell me the word of the Lord. Hmm. He does it when no one else is looking. <laughs> And he tells Jeremiah, don't you dare tell anybody, I just asked you that. I've had a few of those conversations with people. 
where, where they've ridiculed and mocked and pushed back on, on the claims of the gospel. And you get them alone and you get them quiet and you get them where no one's watching and they're a little bit different. Maybe you'll experience that too as you share with people that they need a saviour and that Jesus is the only saviour available. So consider this. This is a, an amazing exchange. Here we have Zedekiah who is saying, Why did you say this? You hurt my feelings when you prophesied this. I really didn't like this, Jeremiah. Why did you do it? Stop it, Jeremiah. This is what he's saying. So he's able to quote the word, but it's as if he's not connecting what the word's actually saying. So the king did not have an understanding of God's word. I mean, if anybody should have had an understanding of that word that he was quoting, it should have been him because his name is in it twice. I mean, really, he should have said, oh, my gosh, you said that this would happen. It's happening. You say this is going to happen and my name's in it. Jeremiah, what should I do? That's what he should have said. And he didn't. And in the same way, we can read that in Matthew 21, 44, it's red letter. Jesus said this, unless you come and fall on me and break open your life, I'll come and fall on you and grind you to dust. That's Jesus meek and mild. That's Jesus saying, don't put me in a genie bottle and rub me whenever you want me. Don't you tell me how it's going to be. Don't you give me your dream and tell me to fulfill it. You come and join my team. You sign up to my cause. You come and follow me. It means I'll be in front, not chasing you. I'll be in front. You come and fall on me and break open your life. Lay down your life. Lay down your agenda. Because if you don't, I'll come and fall upon you and I'll grind you to dust. Hmm. This is Jesus talking. <laughs> this is not the consumer Jesus. You must come. You must break open your life on me. You come and surrender. You lay down your dreams, your agenda, and I become your Lord. Is there another option? Yeah, the, the option is dust. <clears throat> so even though Zedekiah acknowledged God's word, he didn't take it to heart. How many of us read the Bible and go, oh, well, that's over, rather than go, Okay, I've read that. God, it's not clear to me right now how this should shape my life. I want to be a good pixel in the picture. How do I, how do I take this, God? And as you begin to realize, he wants you to talk different. He wants you to think different. He wants you to recognize that you control your thoughts. Take every thought into captivity, it says. Think on these things, it says. And so many people think, well, I, I can't help what I think. You're the only one who can. And the Bible says to do it. And you read God's word and it, and, and it talks about you, you control what you think. And of course, what you think affects what you do. And what you do affects how you feel. And so many people say, well, I can't help how I feel. Um, again, you're the only one who can. And this is how the word of God can shape us. And Zedekiah was not being shaped by the word. Okay. Think about Jeremiah's word to Zedekiah. 
This is not a positive word. I was with a group of people the other day and they said, we want, to, we want to be able to state our Christian position without being negative. We just want to be positive. And look, and I appreciate the sentiment. I really do. But have you ever read the Ten Commandments? You ever read thou shalt what? Thou shalt not. That's a negative, isn't it? Thou shalt not. And have you read through the New Testament? It, it, it actually says, don't do this. Don't do that. When, you, when you're bitter, don't, don't harbour that. That's a negative thing too. It's, there's so many... And we, 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 we're in this culture that thinks being negative is wrong and that everything has to be positive. You know, here, here's the thought. When someone says, oh, I'm just sick of people who are so negative, is that a positive statement? And you watch it. I tell you, right now, as we approach... God help us, election season, you are going to hear politicians say, oh, I'm just so sick of my opponents being so negative. They're so negative. Oh, they're negative, they're negative, they're negative. Not me. Well, what's he just been? And so much of the word of God is couched in negative language. And I think it's one of the poise of the devil to put into the minds of young people to say, oh, that's negative, therefore it's wrong. Like... Don't lie. Don't commit sexual sin. Don't steal. All negative things. What's the positive? Go ahead and murder. Go ahead and steal. (laughs) Go ahead and cheat and be sexually promiscuous. That's the positive. You flip the negative. See how stupid it is? But sometimes we don't have the discernment to recognize it. Now, here's the point. Jeremiah's prophecy about Zedekiah was pretty negative. It was negative. Zedekiah didn't like it at all. Didn't like it one little bit. And have you noticed as you read through the Bible, you, you, look, you, you got to, some of us have got to just toughen up a bit and recognize that God's word is going to tell it like it is. And it's going to tell us not only what we can do, but what we can't and shouldn't do. And yes, that's going to sound negative, but the result is positive. So not all of God's word, the consequence of God's word, it's, it's not always going to sound positive. And certainly Zedekiah was struggling with this. I mean, his name appears twice in this prophecy that he's citing. But if you think about it, if he had taken it to heart, here's a negative word. You know, and, and, and I guess every parent is mindful that we don't want to always be negative with our children. You know, Ruby is riding, learning to ride her bike. She's just taken... taken to a bike like a duck to water lately and it's been amazing because the first six years of her life she's just struggled and now she's watch out peter that's all i'm going to say just watch out she's she can't we brought a bike down here the other day she did 20 laps around the car park yeah, beat that and um how, just by the way how, how like an average training ride for you is how long 60 70 k's 20 laps buddy 20 laps around the car park and Occasionally she'll fall off and I, I, I tried to be a parent that, that doesn't look and go, oh my gosh. I try and be a parent that goes, get back up, get back up, get, get back up. And I, cause I don't want to react. I want her to get back up, get on the bike and she'll go, oh, and I do, and I, I've learned from Kim how you treat people in our family who do that. It's like. I come to Kim with a, oh, I'm not feeling it. 
So yesterday, Ruby, I've said to Ruby she can have a bigger bike if she can ride her bike down our road, which has got a bit of a gradient, and, and ride back up without putting her foot down. And, and she took off, and she didn't have a helmet on, so I'll put your helmet on. And almost, I almost felt, because if you don't, you'll fall off your bike, your head will splatter on the road, a car will come in and just this brain squished everywhere. I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I didn't say it. Because I realised... That, that little thought would have been quite negative. <laughs> so rather than, rather than be you know, always negative as a parent, it's like, uh, you're going to go down the end of the road. Yep, just fine, as long as you've got your helmet on. So she put her helmet on, she went down the road, she, she, and, and I, she fell over once. Fine, that's how you learn. And when you take God's word to heart... It's, it should result in something. If Zedekiah had taken God's word to heart, the, the, chapter 32 and on would have sounded quite different. But I'm, I'm telling you, he didn't. What I'm giving you a clue, as we'll see in a few messages, he actually looked like he was beginning to. But he didn't. So here's... For us, I think, an important point. Heeding God's word should always result in trust and obedience. Trust and obedience, despite our circumstances. And you don't get to that point of being able to trust God in the midst of bad news suddenly. You get there because you've learned to trust God in the little things. You've learned that you walk with God and do the right things day by day. And when we hear God's word, it should cause us to trust God. Trust God. I, you know, I, Denise was mentioning about King David in, in Samuel and we come into that, that Samuel episode where in 2 Samuel he's committed adultery with Bathsheba and Bathsheba conceives a child and you know it's ugly, it's just ugly where... David orchestrates the death of Uriah the Hittite, one of his chief warriors. It's a horrible episode. And Bathsheba gives birth to the child after David's taken a very, very quick marriage. And and you know the story, the child is born sick. If we were to allegorize that story, we could come up with a lot of pictures about when you flirt with the world, it might look like you got away with it, but it's going to be ugly. And there's this child on sick. Remember what David does? There's the child sick and dying. And David goes to the temple. Or actually, he's in his bedroom, isn't he? He's pleading. When the child dies, this is the point. When, when the child dies, David has a moment of deep repentance. And what does that result in David doing? In the midst of his anguish, his shame, his grief, his deep loss and his utter hurt, where does he go? To the temple to worship God. To the temple to worship God. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of mature Christianity. We don't always have the why answered. But we should have the who answered and the what answered. Who is in control? He's in control. What is my response? 
I worship him. I trust him. God, I don't understand, but I worship you. I know you're good. I acknowledge you. Trust and obedience. Trust and obey. So here's Jeremiah. He could, I guess, have avoided prison. But he didn't because he did the right thing. He gave the word of the Lord. He'd already told God he didn't want to, but he did it. He did the right thing and things didn't go right for him. And we need to learn, I think, the same sort of thing. Do the right thing even when things don't go right. And this is what I learn from this passage in Jeremiah. If we had the time, we'd, we'd look at when... Because notice Jeremiah's response in this. He was silent. And sometimes as Christians, we say things that just aren't helpful. There are some things that are true that we shouldn't say. There are some things that are true that we're often too afraid to say. There, there is a time to speak and there is a time not to speak. May God give us the wisdom to know the difference. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we take these lessons that we learn from the life of Jeremiah, help us to be a people, or oh God, that do the right thing even when things don't go right. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to be courageous, to be able to share with others our testimony, our story of faith in Christ. Help us to do that. And Lord, when we face our Zedekiahs, when we face those people that mock and ridicule us, may we be ready to live our message like Jeremiah did. Now, Lord, I pray for those listening to me right now and they've never given their life to Jesus. Perhaps, perhaps they toyed with Jesus. Perhaps they signed a decision card. Perhaps they may have even been baptized. Perhaps they've done something, but their heart was a million miles away from that. And perhaps right now, you're calling not just them, but their heart, their whole heart, to come and lay down their life. God, you know we need not just another Jeremiah. We need hundreds of Jeremiahs today. Hundreds of young people that are prepared to be wise and bold for the cause of Christ. And Lord, I pray that it would start with people saying to you, God, have your way in my life. Take me, make me, break me, use me however you see fit, I pray. Amen. Amen. How much are you prepared to endure for the cause of Christ? Jeremiah was a good example of doing tough stuff for God. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Put your money where your mouth is. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Shut Up for Not Shutting Up, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.